Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. For Barbara Condren, dreaming is as basic as greeting someone new and as intricate as creating with a global network of people. And dreaming is an advanced form of communication which is accessible while you're awake or while you're asleep. So welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and today I get to welcome Dr. Barbara Condren to the show. She is an author, a teacher, and an internationally known speaker. And since age six, her life focus has been the power of dreams to direct the course of life, direct the course of life, and she has interpreted over 35,000 dreams for people of all ages from all walks of life in 30 countries, and she has presented her research eight times at the International Association for the Study of Dreams Conference, and she joins us today to talk about some things that I am genuinely passionate about learning, lucid dreaming. What is lucid dreaming, and why is it a topic that's a trend all into itself? Creative mind, we're going to talk about, or she is going to talk about, the distinction between body intelligence and mind intelligence, from biorhythms to the unique vibration that is you. And she says, think fingerprints, and communication in any and all forms. Barbara, welcome to your Partner in Success Radio, and thank you for the box of books. I opened that box and went, ooh, I was so happy. It was like Christmas and spring, right? It was. <laughs> yeah, I'm a voracious reader, and everybody, and I, I share this all the time, but in my office, every single book in this room was gifted to me by my, my podcast guests, every single book, and I'm very proud of that. And I've got three big old bookcases, so thank you. Right now, the one on my desk is um, the Dreamer's Dictionary. That's the one that I really kind of wanted to, you know, grab a hold of and chat about. But before I start peppering you with questions, <laughs> and it's going to start, tell our audience a bit about you. Well, let's see. At this point in my life, I'm really reviewing and discovering a scope of the centenary life. That's what I call it. It's what does it take to live productively, happily, well-adjusted, uh, centered within the self, living your dreams so that you can move beyond the daily kind of fears that we all have. And of course, right now we're in a time of history where all the fear buttons are being pushed. And so it seems very important to disseminate what I've learned through my life in terms of being able to be that way. Because I'm, you know, self-disclosure moment, right? I just turned 69, so I'm looking at 70, which is very exciting to me. So I'm looking at, I've been through seven decades almost of life, and there's a, a real depth of experience there that has everything to do with dreaming. It has everything to do with how we see the world, uh, the kind of glasses that we put on, our perception, and especially now with algorithms and things like that, uh, we're being given kind of a skewed look at what life is, that uh, at this juncture with VI coming in and artificial intelligence, not real, but artificial, um, 
it's a very exciting time in my mind in terms of advancing dreaming and the kind of world that I think many people envision could happen where there's kindness and there's engagement and there's fun and creativity between people. And yet the road to get there seems a little perilous right now. So um, I want to put out as much of the good stuff, I guess you could say, but the very productive and practical ways of thinking and living that produce um, a condition like me. I'm not on any kind of medication at all. Um, I know how to use food as medicine. I know how to grow my own food when I need to. I don't always do that. I have a a small uh, pot garden going on right now because of where I live and I don't have a larger field. So, um, So I support local farmers when they come to farmers markets, things like that. Um, the way that we really tidy up and uh, direct our thinking is probably the most important part of our lives, and yet it is something that we take for granted. And I would like to see that change for more people who want to change it. I think that the depth of thinking and when we get beyond the superficiality of life, which is what our night dreaming particularly helps us do, and to become lucid dreaming, as you were talking about at the onset, that is the condition that we want, I think, human beings want to evolve to live in, is the kind of connected thinking where we really are, um, I like to use the word soul-driven. I don't see it necessarily affiliated with any particular religious thought or dogma. I see it as a, a collective term that has to do with the part of us that is wise and the part of us that truly does seek to understand ourselves and each other. And I think that when we are in pursuit of that, when we live that way, we live in a more healthy body and mind. We then have a longer life that we actually want to live. Um, we don't give up our will to live. That, that is, um, it's, it's really trying right now for a lot of people that whether they want to even be in a world that they sometimes are seeing, uh, given back to them in a skewed way, So realizing that the world is a mirror and realizing that our nighttime dreams are like a magic mirror internally telling us about us is a great deal of what I'm synthesizing right now and what I want to be able to hopefully impart to other people. I've been doing that all my life, so I don't think I'll I'll stop until I'm done. You know what I mean? I do. Listen, we met as a result of my recent podcast with your friend and mine, Brian Bogart, where I mentioned lucid dreaming as a complete aside during the podcast because sometimes I wander straight off the reservation. It happens. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, he made an introduction and off we went. But listen, I am a lucid dreamer and I didn't know probably until the last five years or so that that wasn't quite normal, that a lot of people don't even know what it is. It's not abnormal. It's not, you know, it's it's just so normal to me that I just assumed everybody did it. Listen, I have been known to wake up exhausted with sore ankles because I went dancing. I don't dance. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I bilocate when I'm out in my dreams. <laughs> I mean, I, I can wake up just exhausted or oh my god I've got to get that written down it just depends on what I was doing while I was sleeping exactly and you know what I've also that was one of my wake-up calls which actually happened around the age of six which is why I had the nightmare that started me on this dream journey 
um, because I'd gone to school. And I did fine in kindergarten when I went at five. And then we, we, uh, the school district changed on me. We didn't move. We stayed in the same place, but the school district changed. So I, I was transferred to a new school. And that just hit me, apparently, as it was supposed to, you know, in terms of soul destiny and things like that, which I do uh, have. There's great evidence that that does occur with at least some people in the world. And I think it's, it's there for all of us. And that's where the dreams come in. But when I went to change schools, it, it was very, uh, now we would use the word traumatizing. It was, it was scary. It was uh, very emotionally reactive for me. I didn't really talk about it a whole lot. I ended up pulling inside, became highly introverted, um, was a very good student because of that, but uh, was very thrown off course. And so I had this nightmare that began my whole journey and it starred, and this is kind of, will kind of dovetail into lucidity a little bit here and also a structure perhaps that people can use to understand their own dreams better, because that's really been my field of expertise for almost 50 years now, um, is teaching people about that and learning about it, growing about it, growing with it. And the dream was that I, uh, I, was in a house, which was interesting in itself because we didn't live in a house. We owned a small family-owned motel, and we lived in uh, right next to the office. Our, the office was part of our apartment, really. It was kind of an interesting situation. And so I didn't have a house uh, that I lived in. And But in this dream, I had the classic kind of Ozzy and Harriet, if you, you know, remember that, some people will that hear this, um, but it was, it was kind of a classic 50s family house. It was very big, and I was on the first floor, and I was looking for my dad. I didn't know where he had, I was looking for my parents. It was, um, yeah, it was disturbing, and I was looking for dad, and there was a basement door, and I heard a clink, 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 and I went down the stairs, saw dad, his back was to me, and he had a what seemed to be a huge wrench, just you know, really oversized wrench, in his hand, and he was kind of grunting and and obviously putting out effort. I came to halfway down the stairs, and then I heard him grunt, and it scared me. And he turned around, and I said, "Dad, are you okay?" And started to run toward him, but he turned around, and he had uh, blood coming out from his mouth and I didn't really know it at the time you know later on in remembering and describing the dream as I got a little bit older I realized that he was trying to get a pipe free it was rusted and the wrench had let go and just you know bashed him in the face basically so it had hurt his mouth and his teeth and he put his hands up over his mouth and he said go get your mother so I was scared for him but at the same time I needed to do what he said, so I ran upstairs, and I was going through the house, went up to the second floor, went everywhere through the house, couldn't find my mother at all. Eventually got to the first door, ran, ran out to the street, and it was nighttime. That's when I knew it was nighttime, and there was a street light, and it was very quiet, very deserted, and I got a little bit scared because the light, you know, how at the night, the, uh, the light, the street lights only cover a certain area, and then you go into darkness, right? And I didn't want to go into the darkness because of things that I'd been taught about going outside at night, things like that. So I turned around, and when I did, I looked back at the house, the front door, and in the front door, outside on the little open porch, mom and dad were there. 
And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm so glad there's another and, and dad's there and everything's okay. So I started running toward them and I got about halfway up the sidewalk and then I stopped because I realized that in place of my dad's head was this mole-like creature. And it was terrifying to my six-year-old mind. It was like a monster. And I woke up crying. I wasn't screaming. I was crying. And I ran into my parents' bedroom. And I knew which side of the bed my mother slept on. And I think most kids do. And uh, yeah, so I went to that side of the bed and mom heard me and immediately woke up and she said, honey, what's wrong? And, and I couldn't talk. I, I was completely convulsing in tears and emotion and I couldn't get anything out. And she said, are you sick? Was her first question, which, you know, every time I tell the story, I'm so endeared by my mother, uh, so precious and, you know, so loving is it, which exactly is the first thing that I needed. And I shook my head violently because I, was, I wasn't physically sick, sick and I knew that that's what she was asking. And she said, did you have a bad dream? And I nodded furiously, <laughs> like, you know, bingo. And, um, and she held me. She rocked me, you know, so I would, so I would kind of quiet down. And because uh, we were both now trying not to wake up dad, right, who was sleeping right there in the bed, right? And she said, honey, it's okay. It's okay it's all right. You're, you're okay. And all that comforting and love was wonderful. And then she said, it's over. And that was great. And then she said, it's not, it was, it's not real. It wasn't real. And when she said that, it was like, she'd hit a button in me. And in my mind, I didn't say this, but in my mind, I was screaming, yes, it was. Yes, it was. It was real. And, but I couldn't get the words out. And that's what she was giving me was all the love that I needed, which is so important and all the comfort that I needed. But I also needed a third thing. And the third thing I needed was truth. And in that moment, she didn't have it to give. And it was my intense need for that. And at six, not really being able to cognize that quite that way yet. It would take years for me to, you know, and, cover that part of why the dreams were so important and the link that it has to the truth about the inner self and about the person. But I never forgot the dream, obviously. And it became a driving force in my life that has never gone away. And part of the reason it's ever gone away is not because I haven't found peace and, and resolve and insight and all those things that dreams bring us but more so in interacting with other people and realizing that most people, particularly in American culture, do not value dreaming. Um, I was at a conference at the International Association for the Study of Dreams several years ago, and Lee Irwin, who at the time was the chair of religious studies, I believe, at a college in North Carolina, he was uh, an astute scholar of American Indian culture, lore, dream telling, and he was doing a talk actually on metaphysics. And in the middle of it, he said, just imagine what it's like to live in a culture that does not value dreaming. And he paused. And I watched like a wave, the audience start to slowly get what he had actually said to receive the full intent, not only of what his words said, but what his mind was conveying and giving to us in terms of the dream world. 
And, and there were little chuckles that began. And there were people who shifted in their chairs. And there were people who kind of um, were self-conscious. And as they realized, he was talking about the American culture. Not the Native American culture anymore, mm-hmm. but the current modern culture, right? right. So, yeah. So in that, it was just a wonderful moment for me to realize. Of course, it was a dream conference, so you would expect everybody to be awake about dreams. But most people didn't really talk about our culture here in America in that light, that we really, our values are needing to shift and change. And they are, of course, now being under discussion and the microscope and we're talking about really important issues now, which I think are essential to our well-being, our health, and our wisdom. And dreams have a part to play in that that is significant. And when I created the dreamschool.org website, which now is in other hands uh, at the School of Metaphysics, at the time that I created it, which was at the, uh, about 1997, I think, and I steered it for 20 years, we interpreted uh, dreams for people all over the world. And that was a great deal of the 35,000 dreams I've interpreted. Not all of them, but many of them. And also uh, conducted global lucid dreaming experiments. And we can talk about those a little if you want in a moment. Um, but that's where I began to really become fueled by the dreams that people are dreaming all over the world. And I made the slogan of Dream School to encourage a culture that values dreaming. I think that until we own our dreaming and until we truly have an inner connection sense of our creative ability, that's not just things like, you know, drying my hair pink for a while or, you know, uh, wearing uh, metal in my nose or face or whatever. And I'm not against those things. I kind of, I say this with tongue in cheek because I love creativity and I love watching people and I celebrate the individual. I also know that that is, is a form of self-expression and that's not necessarily what I'm talking about when I say creativity. When I say creativity, I'm talking about putting your minds together, people on the same neighborhood block, getting together, meeting each other, number one, learning that they have common interests, wanting to make their neighborhood perhaps the greatest neighborhood that existed or the most beautiful or, or whatever, uh, maybe, maybe the safest for kids. In other words, the, the creativity flowing where it's between people. This is where we dream together. And I think it was Yoko Ono who actually said this, although her husband John Lennon gets attributed on the social media a lot to it. But her statement was, because she was quite a thinker, and she was, she had, uh, she was steeped in Eastern religion, of course, and um, she said that a dream that we dream alone is just a dream, but a dream that we dream together is reality. And that's really important. It comes back to really me. important. Yeah, and that makes sense. It comes back to me now in this age of pandemic where social media is picking up on uh, organized media to transfer the reality of something that has been science fiction for at least a hundred years to make it into our collective reality. And that's an interesting turn of events for dreaming. And that's how I look at it and study it. It's a way that we are thinking along the same lines that are leading us toward what we don't want. So people talk about dystopia, but we're actually creating it through our fears rather than putting our our creative mind and the intelligence that we have, our willpower, toward 
what will be the common good and how we can become healthier in our way, in the way that we think, the way that we emote, and the way that we physically live. Understood. That leads me to visualization. I don't know about you. I visualize just about everything. I think in pictures. I think a lot of people do, maybe don't recognize it, but I think in pictures, always have. So when I'm, like, I stood at my kitchen sink about half an hour before we jumped on this call, and I was talking to the universe out loud because I do it out loud. I don't want the universe to have to poke around in my very messy brain. It's a squirrel brain in there. You never know what you're going to come across. So I will choose my words. I will choose my focus. I will say out loud what it is that I really want to accomplish that day or what I'm looking for, where I need help. And after that, I'm good to go. And you know what? Whatever I focused on that day, whatever I asked the the universe for that day, shows up in my dreams without fail. Exactly. You know, there's so many, you said so many things there. Um, oh, I did. Sorry. You did. I, well, no. I mean, you know, everyone's a, a, a talk point, right? <laughs> I mean, going deeper and deeper. Uh, number one, you've said this before. And let me, you know, from my experience, because I have met people all over the world, I have been engaged with people in terms of, of developing their thinking through concentration, meditation, visualization. These are sciences uh, that, I've been teaching for over 40 years, so uh, and to all ages as well, to children as well as adults of all ages. And so the power of visualization is the responsible use of creative mind. And you have, you have described it very well in what you just said. It, it, there's a dreamer's profile that I created that is actually at the website masterliving.org and it's free. Um, and you can go in and you can actually answer some questions and receive an evaluation of what kind of dreamer you are. One of them is called a twilight dreamer. And what you just told me is that you're a twilight dreamer. And what I mean by that is what most people are calling lucid dreamer. The difference is that lucidity usually is a frame of mind where people are going in to actually direct or control what happens in their sleep state. That can be very useful. Uh, I talked about children and, and the culture that values dreaming. And I've worked with kids for years, uh, including my own children, of course. They're, you know, first, first guinea pig is your own child. Uh, but the importance of being able to give feedback to a young person, whether you are the parent or a teacher, that gives space for that dreaming mind to exist is essential. We still tend to close that down. We still tend to, uh, we haven't learned the, the art of guidance yet. And I think we're ready to. Oh. And that's, that's very exciting to me. Right, right. And guidance is important. Listen, one of the things that I do, and I've shared this with you, the whole internet knows it if they've heard this podcast, but I'm not a sleeper. It's not one of my skills. I never have slept all night long. If I do, I'm sick. You probably should load me into an ambulance. I do not sleep all night long. And it's difficult for me to go to sleep because squirrel brain, I've always got stuff I'm thinking about and poking at and, you know, looking for it. It's, it's, I lead a fascinating 
life inside my own little brain here, but I'm not, I don't have an insomnia. I'm not an insomniac. I just, I can't nap. Literally, I will sleep a couple of hours and I get up. I may wake up. I may go make tacos. I have been known to vacuum. I have been known to get up and build a website. Or if I'm really, okay, I really need to go back to sleep now, I will go back to sleep. But this is something that I have done forever, and I don't even remember when I started it. But I've always been aware that my subconscious is pretty powerful and that she doesn't tell me everything I want to know unless I ask. I have to ask. So just before I'm about to, I know I'm about to go to sleep, yeah, I can tell that I almost hear a click in my body. And I know that I'm actually going to fall asleep. Now, I will turn over whatever it is that it's a question or a concern or something I really need an answer to. And I will turn it out loud, again, out loud. And I will turn it over to my subconscious for review. And I term it exactly like that. And at 3.18, it doesn't matter if I went to sleep at 1.30 in the morning. 3.18, I wake up and I start scribbling because the answer showed up without fail. You know, I have to tell you this, and I know, you know, that it's um, going to come not as new news by any means, but as probably uh, awakening news as well as, you know, for, particularly for any listener, because there are people out there that are very much like you and I. Uh, we are dreamers. We're aware dreamers. We haven't shut it off. We've come here actually to dream and in some ways to be leaders in regards to that in terms of it's not dreaming is, is a, an art and science for us. It's not a fantasy. It's, it, there's a lot of things that it's not. And that's how most people actually do see dreaming. It's been very interesting to me in the last couple of years that when I would talk about dreaming, my uh, viewpoint is subconscious mind connection with the conscious mind to work as the beloved as the one that indeed does fulfill the desires of a conscious mind. And so it becomes very important for my, my waking day mind to be concentrated, focused, to be awake and alert, to be compassionate, to be loving, to be respectful, uh, to be virtuous. If you, and I do like to use that word. I don't see it as a snooty word. I see it as, as a common ground for all human beings to be able to live together. So in that frame of mind, working with subconscious mind, the inner self, which is um, to be, as Einstein said, is to be celebrated, not the slave or servant, which is what we have made it in our current society. And he talks at length, actually, about intuition. You have a genius about you that is yours, and I believe everyone does. Your genius allows for you to use your inner mind in ways that most people do not recognize. They don't think the way that you do. When I went to, to first grade, when I that brought on that nightmare that started my whole journey, the thing that really brought on the nightmare was, was sitting in class and being with 30 other kids that none of them I, had knew, I knew because I had switched schools. And I'd made friends at the other school, which was um, challenging for me because of the nature of where we lived, which was at the motel. And so I didn't have a neighborhood. And I did know some other kids, but it was like weekly at church, things like that. So my life was not filled with a lot of other kids until I went to school. I did fine in kindergarten, but then got switched, got a shock to my system that I did not adjust to well in that present time, but it was ultimately to my advantage 
And that's something that just to impart that is important, I think, for people to realize that when, when we have these shocks, like I consider COVID a, a, you know, a major shock for the first world, not necessarily for everybody, but for the first world people, yeah, because we're all connected to the net and stuff. So we're getting all that feedback and it's, it's changing the way that we think about ourselves and each other and even our conduct. That's, that's collective dreaming. That and see, that makes, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, especially, look, social media can be wonderful. It can also be a cesspool. Yes. And unfortunately, when you're talking about collective dreaming, too many people are right down there at the bottom of that cesspool, and they are happy there. It is unfortunate. And, you know, at the same time, uh, this is where the thing that gives me hope in that that issue and, and it's not to be judgmental. I know that you're not judgmental. You're the kind of person that, you know, it's like if somebody wants me to call them pink, I will call them pink. You know, I, I don't have any quarrel with that at all. To, to legislate that kind of thing is a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. Because then, then that interrupts not only my freedom, but also theirs. And that's what often people nowadays do not see. They don't recognize that as they're trying to cause um, restrictions on someone else's freedoms, they are limiting their own. So it's kind of like standing on the shoulders of giants and you're hitting them in the head. That's stupid. <laughs> Excuse me, but that is, that is truly stupid. And I get kind of ashamed by that, as you can tell. You um, need to take them out at the knees. <laughs> <laughs> you know, honesty is very important to me. Truth is like what I try to live by. And that's not a, an opinion. Uh, that's not about opinion. That's truly about a sense of actually being quiet and being able to experience silence. It's interesting, Denise, because where I find myself now, I want to say something about uh, your genius first, though, before we get to this, because otherwise we won't come back to it, or it'll have to be another time maybe. But your genius is seeing the difference between the mind and the brain. The brain is filled with prejudice, opinions, uh, viewpoints, positions that we will fight for uh, intellectually or even sometimes take arms for. I mean, that has been the, the humanity to this point. We are at a juncture where we really can evolve, and there are way showers. There are people who are uh, like you. I mean, you've been doing this podcast for 13 years. Bravo mm-hmm. for you. Thank you. How amazing all the people you've met and all the people you've given voice to and in the light of aiding other people toward being successful. It doesn't get any better than that. Each person needs to find their own genius, their own way that they can contribute to humanity and its progress. And I think that's what most of us are doing. I think that some of us are now doing it in ways that have not been accessible to human beings. And you you hit on it when you talked about that you don't have insomnia. That's very important for people to hear, to hear the fact that people can be dreaming throughout the night, can have an awareness of dreaming throughout the night, and at the same time not um, call themselves an insomniac. In other words, it's not a disease. It's not a distress. It can be um, sometimes irritating. I know that from my own experience because we do need downtime, but how much downtime we need and when is completely individual. And for people like you 
who are active dreamers in the day and the night, you need, uh, there's a whole system called Uber that is not the, not the uh, drive around people, but it's, it's, it's an Uberman concept, which means that we're moving towards sleeping in uh, various increments throughout the day and night instead of this long period where when it goes dark, we go, we power down and we sleep, which comes, you know, all the way back from the cavemen and, and even some places still on the, on the planet, you know, that are not as developed in terms of uh, modern securities and things of that nature that in our world we, we experience and gratefully so, but in the more, um, indigenous populations, as we might call them, although I hesitate to say that also, but people that do not have plumbing, people to not, who do not have uh, ways to control their climate, uh, things of that nature, then it, it is a different kind of world. And so you're, you're really, your reality is dictated by the rising of the sun and the setting of the sun. So when the nighttime comes, however long that lasts, and when you get up into uh, Alaska, and, you know, near the poles, then those days can be very long. Those nights can be very long, depending upon the movement of the earth around the sun. So the more that we're natural in our makeup and tied to the sun rising and setting, we're geared in our intelligence and our creativity that way in order to survive. As we have matured through the Industrial Revolution, through the recent, really, it's been a whirlwind of development in the world, not just in the United States and in the West, but throughout the world. People are evolving to points where our lives have changed. So we have comforts. We have securities. We don't have to raise our own food or we'll starve. And yet there are many places on the planet that are still existing that way. So and they're trying to find water. I know. Mm-hmm. I see some of these videos, and I just say, oh, my God. In the world that we live in today, nobody should be hunting for water, but it happens. And, you know, the other part of that, too, is that if even 20 years ago, you had told me that I would be buying bottled water because it's safer and it's healthier to drink, I would have laughed. I would have thought you were joking. And yet, look at what's happened. You know, look at what's happened. And it's not a bad thing. You know, people can can contextualize it as being a bad thing. And there's all these bad things about what America has done through, you know, through its history and how we polluted the environment and all that kind of thing and how we need to change it. I agree with the change. Absolutely. I'm all about that. I'm all about putting creativity in that direction. I am not about let's stop and let's condemn the, the people who actually brought the genius, who made the country with the freedom so that people from all over the world could come here and use their genius together in synarchy to be able to create this amazing development that's happening. And I'm all about people now throughout the world resonating at that frequency and coming up with amazing devices and ways to use Tesla technology and I'm talking about not the car, I'm talking about the man who lived mm-hmm. in years ago and foresaw the internet and things of that nature, to use Love that him. kind of technology. I just read a yeah. book about him, another book about him. He's a fascinating guy. He is fascinating. And, you know, these things are very personal to me. It, it has to do with how we actually live, how we live, how we sleep, how we dream, what we populate our life with, that... Um, if we do social media, then it's with intent, and it's with the intent to um, enhance, to elevate the consciousness, 
of ourselves and everyone else for the common good. You know, that, that is a, a very good uh, motto or image to have, a slogan, a, a brand name or whatever, if you want to think about how you might live your life. And, you know, people are wondering about purpose and that kind of thing. It's like, well, think about that. Think about what it is to elevate your consciousness and the part that you're dreaming can play in that. You talked about visualization, goal setting, being able to understand uh, the nature of concentration because you talked about squirrel brain. I've got it too. Absolutely, always have. However, that's part of what you have uh, to work with when your creativity is turned on in the mind. So it's the mind that needs to be riding the horse, to use a metaphor. It's the mind that needs to be in charge of where you put your attention. Because where you put your attention, that grows. And if anybody has you know, any question about that, the very simple experiment of a plant is a perfect one. Where you get one plant and every day you think to it, you give it loving attention, you give it the sun, you give it the water, you give it the kind of nurturing physically that it needs, but you also say, I love you. You're beautiful. You're growing strong. In other words, just I like do you that to my plant, trees. I have pecan trees in my backyard. One of them's probably going to have to come down sooner rather than later. And I am constantly out there talking to my tree, putting my hand on my tree saying, you can do this. You can get stronger. You're okay. I love you. I know it sounds woo-woo, but I love that tree. It's respectful. You might think of it and people might think of it as respectful when they think of woo-woo. Woo-woo. Gotcha. And, That's and much I better. You know, I've, I've run into that all my life. It's kind of like I felt like, you know, I'm a, a, I don't think of myself as a warrior, but that is one area where I have inadvertently been like Athena thrown into war when really I'm all about peace. And it's because other people just, the fear factor is so high. And what's really exciting on one level to me now is that the fears are out in the open. Everything is transparent. All you have to do is look and you can see exactly what's happening. And that's never been true before. You can. And here's the thing about all of that fear that's being slung around deliberately and not deliberately. It's like cooties. Stay away from it. Just don't go pick up those cooties. Seriously. Don't, yes, don't feed it. Right. And don't become part of the problem is another way that I would put it. You know, exactly. don't, feed the black, don't feed the black wolf. There's a, that wonderful tale that anybody can look up by just Googling white wolf, black wolf, and you'll get the story so it won't take time right here to tell it. But it's a wonderful story that's in the Native American tradition about the importance of feeding the white wolf. If you want, if you can envision something better than what you have, whether it's personal, like maybe a new car, you know, it doesn't have to be taking on the world. It can be something very simple. Maybe it's, if you're in studying, maybe it's acing a final that's coming up. You know, it's very simple. Maybe it's, maybe it's falling in love again with your partner because you kind of distance and become too accustomed to each other and you need, you need to rekindle your romance. Whatever your dream of a better life is, whatever your, your dream of how you could be happier and healthier and more whole, directing your mind toward that end, seeing it, envisioning it, living in the end is what Neville Chamberlain called it, not Chamberlain, Neville Goddard uh, called it um, in his teachings. He's a wonderful teacher, by the way. 
all over the net. Um, he's gone now. He was in the last century. There are so many people um, from this time, a year, 100 years ago, who were amazing, innovative thinkers that now in the airwaves, you hear people quoting them. You hear people saying the same thing that they were saying 100 years ago about the wisdom of how, how to live a really complete life with the uh, recognition of understanding the lucidity in dreams is becoming aware of the mind activity, that there is a difference with the brain. And one of the examples that I use with that is <laughs> I remember one time I was driving in the car. This was in my 20s. And I was, stu- I was studying metaphysics at the time and beginning to practice things like concentration and meditation. And I was driving from, from one city to another, and I was listening to the radio. And a song came on that I hadn't heard in years. And it was really one of my favorite songs. And I, hadn't, I hadn't heard it. And I really, I really, I was like, oh, wow, I was so excited about hearing this song, right? And so several minutes apparently passed. And then all of a sudden, I realized that there was talk on the radio instead of the song. And I thought, where did the song go? And I realized, and I realized that I had to... into it. You were in that song. <laughs> I was into associated memories. In other words, my body was hearing the song, but I wasn't singing it. I was not in present time. Everybody likes to talk about present time now. Well, you know, you got what does that mean? This is what I'm talking about. Is what it means. It's the fine art of concentration, which has two factors, positive and negative. What had happened was. I got so emotionally charged about even the song being on that I went down memory lane. I began to think about my youth when I had heard the song originally, things that had happened, people I had been with, all these great memories, but that's where my mind went, and I lost the song. And this was before you could, you know, you could have um, Siri replay something for you or something like that. There, those were not on the board. That wasn't an option. It was like, you either heard the song on the radio or it was gone. And maybe you would hear it, maybe you wouldn't. Um, and so it was like I realized then, okay, this is the depth of concentration. This is the depth of the difference between the mind and where your mind can take you, which is out of present time. Your body can't do that. Your body is only where it is right now. That's where you are. And your five physical senses are giving you the read to keep you safe and secure. And that's our whole um, – Hara, the lower gut, the gut instinct, the survival that we're talking about a lot on the table right now. And we're talking about it in terms of a virus rather than talking about this is just part of life and this is how we respond to it, right? So which is, which is the discourse that eventually we will have, the sooner the better. With understanding that the brain heard the song, my ears, the radio, I didn't turn the radio down. The, the radio was still playing. The song was still going on all of this time while I was also driving a car, which was the most important thing for me to do, for my body to do, right? But my mind was in reverie, reverie, reverie land. It was just until I heard a voice, and the voice was my ears and my brain, and that, that brought me back completely, mind and body in the same place. And I thought, darn. I missed the song. 
It smells are the same way. You know, you smell something like fresh mown grass. I love fresh, you know, I mean, I live in the deep south. You can watch the grass grow. You can hear it. I can hear it outside right now. You can't kill it. I'm <laughs> in the south. You can't. It's green. It's unle- unrelentingly green here. But it doesn't matter. I walk outside and I smell that lawn. It's like, oh. And you know what else can send me way back and have me just stopping in my tracks is for some reason fresh rain on dirt, not grass, not the pavement, on dirt. It's got its own particular scent, and I am off and running. Yes, it does. You know, these are the different – it's really alchemy, and that's not really either. Alchemy is actually an early word for science. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, when, you know, when alchemy was used as a word, they were scientists, philosophers and scientists that were using that word to describe what they were doing. And they were turning base metals into gold was what they were trying to do. In the language right, of mind, right. which there is a language to dreaming, and that's, this is where the dreamer's dictionary comes in, there is a language to the imagery that is universal. In other words, when you dream about um, an animal, you're dreaming about parts of yourself that are habits and they could be a white wolf or a black wolf. It could be a good habit or a bad habit. You have to decide. The dreamer always has to decide. There's some basic, you know, to get practical here before our time, our hour, you know, closes for, for the audience. There's some very practical real things that you can do to become a better dreamer. First is to realize that number one, every dream is about the dreamer. It tells you about a, your awareness, your self-awareness. It's your magic mirror so that you can do a deep dive with what's going on with you. It'll tell you when you're doing a great job. It'll tell you where you're doing the great job. It'll tell you what, to, what the next step is. It's problem solved, as you mentioned earlier. Um, it can aid you in communicating with people who are no, no longer around. Uh, visitation dreams, people that uh, do revisit you to let you know that they're fine. Even though they're not around you anymore, their bodies are gone, they're, we say they're dead, but in truth, they're really not. The consciousness continues to live. And those are dream states that are deeper dream states. And the last survey that was done, which is about 10 years now old, that I am aware of, said that about 38%, I believe was the number, of people do say that they have had communication with the dead, people who have passed on, and they have actually come to them in dream states. And they've had uh, conversations sometimes. Sometimes it's ongoing. Sometimes it's just a visit that lets them know, it brings them peace, lets them know that, you know, life really is continuous. So there are all kinds of depths into subconscious mind, dreaming, and a creative function that when you recognize that your night dreams are always about you, that they always, number two, bring understanding and depth. They tell a story, and that story is just like our daytime stories. It has characters. It has a plot. It has a place and a time, and it has some kind of motivation that's moving, a why, a theme, and the dreams are the same way. When I teach people how to use dreams now, which is different from when I wrote Dreamer's Dictionary because that book's 25 years old, I think now, um, and I've continued to learn more through all of the people that I've interacted with and, and the, the global look that I've had. There are movements in the dream that you can use 
the framing of a narrative story in what I just gave, those, those five points, it, to a journalist, it's who, what, when, where, why, very simply, to decode the messages in your dream. So the first thing to do is to write your dream down when you wake up in the morning. Before that, you need to do what you were talking about earlier, which is going to bed with a question in your mind. That's a, a time-honored, centuries-old technique that was used back in the Temple of Asclepius in the, in the days of ancient Greece, where when people were falling into a mental sickness of some sort, they would come to the temple, and they had sleeping beds, where part of the therapy was to actually sleep and dream. They would learn how to incubate their dreams, how to use the wisdom in their inner mind, their own inner wisdom, to draw upon it for health and healing, to be able to um, restore and rejuvenate the inner mind through the turning of energies, which in India is called chakras, to return that energy back into mind so you can continue to live, so you can continue to uh, have your desires fulfilled that you want in the daytime. Everything is energy conversion, and we know this now in a way that we never did before. In the last 20 years, technology has just totally, you know, uh, given us, pulled back the curtain, as people like to say, showed us who the wizard is that's running everything, and realizing that we are that. That if we want a productive, positive existence, each of us has every opportunity in the present time to choose it. We can choose what we listen to. We can choose who we follow. We can choose who we eat with. We can choose who we live with. We can choose the books that we read. In America at this time, we have all of those freedoms. We can congregate. We can, we can visit with people. We, can, we have so many freedoms that we can be responsible to and for. And it is that level of responsibility that's going to ensure that we keep those freedoms. So as we personally are responsible with our own dreaming, with writing down the dreams that we have when we wake up, you know, you have that pen and paper next to your bed. You can record it. Yes, people say, can I record it? You know, these are my phone, whatever. And I say, you can try it. I don't recommend it. I do recommend at some point you write it down because that has other um, curative factors in it. And it's also cure, curating your dreaming. However, what I found when I tried to record mine, when I listened to it later, I sounded like I was drunk and I don't drink. So it was like, <laughs> you know, I couldn't understand what I said. When I was recording it, it was perfectly clear. And I don't know if you've had that happen either, but that's kind of funny when that happens. No, I've never tried to record it, but I do write some of them down. And I wanted to ask you, I hope I'm not interrupting. We can, can no, go stop ahead. me if, if I'm interrupting. Okay. So I've got a couple of questions, and we've only got about nine minutes left. You're going to have to come back. I told you this was going to happen. <laughs> You're going to, would you please come back at another time? <laughs> I would love to. I would love to. Okay, good. You see, I said that on the radio. You can't tell me no. That would be rude. But I've got a, a couple of things that I wanted to, to ask you about and talking about lucid dreaming. And listen, I agree with you that we are, I think, large and in charge of our dreaming. I am. I mean, most times. But there's a couple of things that happened to me. And one of the things that happened, and this is why we met, when I was talking with Brian Bogert, when, you know, with that podcast that I shared earlier, I had had, I was a little bit tired that morning and I was fascinated to meet him because, I mean, this is how 
this podcast is how I meet people from literally all over the world. And Mondays and Fridays are my best days, no question about it. But I was a little bit tired that morning. And I'll tell you why, because I had what I call a serial dream. I would wake up every hour and 45 minutes. It wasn't every hour. It wasn't every two hours. One hour and 45 minutes later, I would wake up. And I would try to go back to sleep. I would make it back to sleep. And darn if it didn't pick up right where I left off. And I didn't enjoy this dream. I hated it. So all night long, I was, it was like, can you just change the channel? I couldn't change the channel. I was getting kind of miffed. So that's where I, that's why I kind of mentioned that to him. But here's another thing I wanted to ask you about. I don't know about you, but I have an internal clock. I do not own an alarm clock. I don't own a watch. Well, I do, but they're in my jewelry box. I know all the time what time it is, and I have a game that I play with myself every hour and 45 minutes. I will tell myself I'll wake up, whether I need to go to the bathroom or whether I'm just hot or whether I just want to get up and make tacos. No telling what I'm going to do, which I've done. I know that sounds bizarre, but I'll make tacos and then put them in the fridge and eat them for the next dinner. It's just strange. (laughs) (laughs) I live alone. I can do these things. But I know exactly what time it is within five minutes either way. So I will always wake up and say, okay, it's 138. Might be 135, but I know what time it is no matter when I wake up without fail. I love that for so many reasons. Um, you know, I, I told you that in an alternate life, I'm I'm living your life doing podcasts. You know, for 13 years, you know that kind of thing. And it's like that's really true in terms of what you just said about timing. I've been working on timing my entire life, and I realize that it's a major soul lesson for me. And you know, so you're, you just described my ideal. So thank you for being in my life because the people who are in our lives do nurture and bring out our fondest desires. It does matter, you know, who we're around. It does matter who we, we spend our time with, what we do. And yeah, so that's just, I'll drop that there. You have been incubating. You said that you've turned, you turned it into a game. This is wonderful. Gamification of dreaming is a brilliant, brilliant thing to do. And what you've done is you've been thinking about this hour and 45 minutes. And so as you think about it and it becomes your game, then it becomes a part of you. It becomes an understood part of you. It becomes part of your rhythm. And when you, when you speak about the t- internal clock, my mind immediately goes to something called circadian rhythm. And this is where our dream cycles are curated toward that. And the way that you describe dreams and the way that you can take a nap and then wake up and then be up for a long time. And it's like, and you, you never really dream. You never, or, pardon me, you never really sleep. That's the Uberman concept, that we are awake and then we take a short nap, basically what people would call a nap, siesta. Then we are awake again and then we take another siesta. And then we're awake again, we take another siesta. I was working the other night and I worked until 4 o'clock and I had to make myself lay down and go to sleep because I was, I was in the flow. I was, I was on a roll, as some people might say. In other words, things were really, really moving and clicking for me and I really did not want to let them go, but I knew I needed to. <laughs> because I had something to do in the morning three hours later. So I needed that power down time, that unplugging time. And that's part of what um, people need to learn, which is important, and that I do teach. Um, I want to get back to what you were saying about and the flow that we were teaching people about dreams. You do want to write them down. 
when you wake up, even if it's just red car and you don't remember anything else, whatever you remember, write it down. It helps the night before to date the tomorrow's date on the, on the paper. And if you want to say, uh, give me insight into talking with my daughter about her sex life. You know, maybe it's a teenager and you, you know, you need to have oh. that. And maybe you're no, not wanting to, you know? No. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's like that has that, for a lot of people. It really is. It's, you know, it's, it's space to navigate, especially nowadays. And so, you know, you want, you want insight and inner guidance before you even try to do that outside, you know, with, with your daughter. You want to practice in the mirror even before you do that, right? So you want guidance from the inside because your subconscious mind is a storehouse of wisdom. It understands things that the conscious mind can't even imagine. Point example. My mother can play the piano by ear. When I was a child, they wanted me to play the piano because they thought, you know, and my, my grandmother could play the organ. And so they thought, certainly I would have musical talent, which I do, but not theirs. I didn't know that. So I couldn't play by ear. And it was highly frustrating all my childhood. It was like, I didn't understand why. And, you know, they would, they would tell me they were religious families. So they would say, well, God didn't give you that talent. God gave you these talents, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, it, that still didn't explain it. And I knew there had to be an explanation. When I began to understand the nature of the soul in a scientific way, as well as a religious and artistic way, it helped to round me out. And I began to see a whole more, much more inclusive and much more open way. And I began to understand with dreams that you can pull on those nighttime dreams, that wisdom through the nighttime dreams. And it will always give you insight. It will always move you forward. It will always help you with your day because every dream is about the dreamer. Every dream tells a story. It has a message that is pertinent to the dreamer and the dreamer's life. And it also can be a connection with your soul. It can help you, your mind and your body to work together as a unit. I think that that's, if there is a marriage made in heaven, I think that's it. That it really is a super conscious function, that heaven space, that we are here in the world being able to be creative, to be creators of our own reality, and that we do shape our own destiny in that way. I think that every individual on the planet came here for a reason that they need to discover, that they need to remember and come forward with. And need because not only for them, but for us, for all of us. Now, Barbara, I've heard this, and we are running out of time, but I have to ask you, I've actually known people who say, I don't dream. How do you not dream? In every lecture that I ever did, exactly, that's, that's a good question, yeah. And that was the question that I had to answer, which is why I dedicated my life in this way, all my life, to working with people with their dreams. And that's in the day at night as well. Because in the first okay. seven years of life, in the first seven years of life, and Rudolf Steiner would be somebody uh, for people to go into with this a little bit, there's the opportunity for us to either flourish or to begin to shrink. And there are far too many people who shrink because of the influences in the first seven years. It's very important for us to continue to be open, to nurture that connection with the soul that are, is naturally there with every child, to encourage engagement and communication in images as well as words 
And those are the first formative years and the most important. And that really sets the stage. It can be changed later, but that sets the stage. And so I'm glad you said that. Yeah, it's, it when your kids come with later. a nightmare, mm-hmm. when the kids come with a nightmare, listen to them. That's my advice. Listen to their story. Good advice. My, I remember my earliest nightmare, and I woke up just screaming that I just knew there was a mouse in my bed. Turns out there was. My cat yeah. had brought me a mouse, put it on my pillow, and I had smashed it flat. I'm not over that yet. <laughs> I love you. I, I went running for my mom and said, oh, my God. I, mean, it, I think I was five or six years old, and I was hysterical. She said, well, maybe you should shut the windows at night. Not what I was wanting, Mom. I want you to get the mouse off my pillow. But the cat was so proud. She was like, look what I brought you. So there was a gift there. I just wasn't ready to receive it. Barbara, thank you so, so much for chatting with me. It's been fascinating. And, I mean, I've been scribbling notes. I'm taking away a whole lot of this stuff. And, I mean, just thank you. I really, really appreciate it. And I definitely want you to come back. I would love to do that. Thank you for having me. It's been pure pleasure and your encouragement to do podcasts. I've heard it and yeah, I get you. And yes, I will be reaching out to you for your when Listen, when you're ready, I'll be happy to help you or advise you or even nag you if that's <laughs> what it takes. I am, I took a minor, you know, I have a major in, in computer science degree, but my minor was in nagging, just so you know, I'm very, very good at it. Thank you. I appreciate everything about you. Thank you so much. And right back at you. Well, listen, thank you, everybody, for sticking with us and listening. And go find Barbara one more time. Tell us where they can find you on the Internet, your uh, website. The website is masterliving.org. And there is a Dreamers profile there that you can take that's free, and it will tell you about uh, whether you're a daydreamer, a night dreamer, or a twilight dreamer. It's fun, but it's also insightful. And that, and also Facebook. People can find me on Facebook. And, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to it. make myself available. <laughs> I took it, and you're right. I'm a twilight dreamer, which, I, you know, I read that and went, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. It was perfect. Well, listen, before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience, and I'm losing my voice here, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes and anywhere you throw you consume your business podcast. Honestly, you can't throw a stick on the internet without hitting your partner in Success Radio. So find us and take us along on your success journey. Barbara, again, thank you so much. You are so welcome. Have a wonderful day. Dream wisely. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. 